Thank you so much for that worship, worship team. That was just wonderful. Thank you so much. I do, David announced it, but I do want to uh, say it again. The uh, evangelism training is coming up. It's six Saturdays at my house, about a half a mile from here, and um, I teach it. And at the end, you will be able to uh, share your faith and I've asked this many times um, when we are talking about evangelism training. If someone came to you and said, how do I become a Christian or how do I go to heaven? Do you know how to respond? Can you clearly articulate to them? The Bible says, uh, actually uh, commands that you and I know how to do that. And so uh, this is a big uh, a, a, a major priority of ours just for years to teach you how to share your faith. And the elders were at a retreat this last weekend. We were up in New Hampshire and uh, the, uh, I asked each of uh, the men to, to come with something that was on their heart uh, just to pray for. What's the cry in their heart to pray for the church? And a lot of the men, it was having something to do with the youth and the children. Uh, the one that I shared more than any other that's really on my mind is to make our church and make me as an individual someone who is confronting in love those who I interact with, that there is a God. He loves them, but requires something of them. And so uh, how do we learn to do that? We learn to do that um, just through the word and 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 this kind of training will really help you out the sign up is in the back for that so this morning uh, we have a guest speaker and his name is Peter Majid on February 3rd Friday earlier this year uh, Peter with uh, no notice whatsoever, no forewarning. Um, uh, one on a, fr on, the, on a Friday morning, his, his wife, Anna, went to be with the Lord. Four young children. I guess the ages are about uh, 18 months to 12 or, or, or something like that. And uh, uh, Peter is the, at the time, was the worship leader um, at Freddie's home church. And they were preparing to go take over a church up in Woburn, uh, which had essentially uh, was about to die. And, and they came to take it over. And it's, it's a, you could call it a church replant. And uh, a couple months um, after Anna went to be with the Lord, Peter was here with the a few of the other people who were starting the church in Woburn, Freddie being an elder, we were releasing him to, um, to go up there. And when he was up here, uh, and I was thinking about Peter uh, and the fact that his wife had just passed away. No notice, he's passed away, went to be with the Lord. He had a, 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 a major adjustment, and that's the understatement of the year. Uh, with his life. Uh, well, here he was two months later going and helping out to plant a church, which, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, 
is the hardest thing in the world to do, having done it myself. And I just, the Lord spoke, spoke to me. He said, this is the normal Christian life, what Peter's doing. It's normal. This is normal for God to do the extraordinary, regardless of whatever is happening, happening in our life. Freddie, this weekend, who was with us at the elders retreat, was praying, and he said, he was just thanking the Lord for Peter and saying that Peter's in a better place and is, is ministering to me more now than any time in 20 years. And this is a man who has just been through the trial of his life. So, Peter, why don't you come up and why don't you share with us? Okay. I'm just going to... I'll leave the mic to you, but I think you have a mic. You ready? You want me to, to clip that on you? I think I got it. Okay. This is Peter, folks. Yeah? All right. Hello, church. Good morning. Buenos dias. I'll try to keep going, but I'm not Freddie, so that's about where I end with my Spanish. <laughs> On that note, Freddie, I, I just have to share, he demanded that I not preach without telling all of you how much he misses all of you. He appreciates all of you, and he's so grateful for all the prayers that so many people in this church have given uh, to the work there. Uh, he says again and again, he's more and more convinced uh, the more time he spends there that it was really the hand of God that led him to start this church ministry, this replant. Sorry. All good? Dave, can you push the, the button above 16 at the top to mute that? test. Good? Thank you. By the way, if you ever get a chance, when, whenever you're done with the service, always find the sound guys and tell them thank you. They do a thankless ministry. They stay in the back. They're never up here. They're always in the back, but they're serving the Lord. So I always make it a point, wherever church I go to, thank the sound folks. We thank you so much for the ministry that you folks do. Uh, but like I said, again, Freddie wishes he'd be here and uh, gives you all his, his, his greetings. Uh, but no, let me, uh, let me just pray. Uh, the, the title of the message that I'm going to be sharing is related to what Pastor Steve was saying. It's uh, following God after loss, but let me just pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We confess you are the almighty God who loves each of your children here. I thank you for all of your care for us. Lord, every way in which you make yourself known to us, and like we shared, all the ways where we don't even see you, but you're working in our life to cause us to be closer to you, moving obstacles so that we can draw near to you. We bless you, Lord, for drawing so close to us when we draw near to you. Make your word clear. Lord, make the message clear, and I do pray that by your spirit, you'd minister to every heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, like I said, the, the title of today's message that I'm giving is called Following God After Loss. 
right? And I, of course, have a certain type of loss, but uh, loss, of course, takes many forms, right? And so this isn't just about those who have gone through a, a loss of a loved one. Uh, you may have lost your job recently and been, had that kind of loss, or there might have been a relationship that didn't work out for you, and there's a pain in your heart, or someone moved away, or whatever the case is. But uh, today we'll be reading a passage of the Bible that actually does talk about someone who had the death of a loved one, but I think the principles really apply to us all, regardless of what our particular life circumstances are. And so we'll begin, if you can, uh, if you can open up your Bibles and turn to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 24. Ezekiel 24, verses... 15, and then we'll read all the way to the end. Verse 27. Give folks a few moments to get there. I think the passage will be on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible, if you can't find one on your get an app on your phone. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, but feel free to read along in whichever translation that you have. Okay, Uh, Ezekiel 24, starting from verse 15. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I am about to take the delight of your eyes away from you with a fatal blow. But you must not lament or weep or let your tears flow. Groan quietly. Do not observe mourning rites for the dead. Put on your turban and strap your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. I spoke to the people in the morning, and my wife died in the evening. The next morning, I did just as I was commanded. Then the people asked me, won't you tell us what these things you are doing mean for us? So I answered them, the word of the Lord came to me. Say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. I am about to desecrate my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, and the desire of your heart. Also, the sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword. Then, you will do just as I have done. You will not cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. Your turbans will remain on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not lament or weep, but will waste away because of your iniquities and will groan to one another. Now Ezekiel will be a sign for you. You will do everything that he has done. When this happens, you will know that I am the Lord God. As for you, son of man, know that on the day I will take from them their stronghold, their pride and joy, the delight of their eyes, and the longing of their hearts, as well as their sons and daughters. On that day, a fugitive will come to you and report the news. On that day, your mouth will be open to talk with him. You will speak and no longer be mute, So you will be a sign for them 
and they will know that I am the Lord. It's a pretty intense passage there. Uh, I don't know that I've ever actually heard a message preached on it. Uh, it gets pretty deep. But it does bring me to my first lesson on loss, uh, which is a bit of what Ezekiel went through. And the first learning that I've gotten that I want to share with everyone here, what I've learned from loss over the last six months, has been to focus on what you had, not on what you lost. Right. Right, in Ezekiel 24:16, God describes Ezekiel's wife as the delight or the desire of his eyes. Right? And, and some more background on Ezekiel. We, we don't really know too much about Ezekiel's wife, but we can kind of read between the lines a little bit. And so Ezekiel was a priest. It tells that in the first few chapters of the book of Ezekiel. Right? And so if he, as a priest, he had certain responsibilities and certain ways where he had to be different from everyone else. He would normally at the time be uh, ministering in the temple in Jerusalem, but of course he was captured and taken to Babylon. Right? And so in addition to just the standard Jewish cultural things, he wouldn't eat pork, he wouldn't you know, wear clothes with multiple threads and so multiple different kinds of threads. Uh, but the priests had other certain rules that were put on them where they had to be righteous in a, in a different way, more than just the average person. And one of the ways that the Bible says, it's in the book of Leviticus, actually, chapter 21, that it says is that the priest actually can't just marry anyone. It says the priest has to marry a certain type of woman that's actually holier, that stays away from some of the other sins that other people might commit, but the priest's wife has to be someone, someone different, right? And, and if we take that plus the fact that it was God who said to Ezekiel, I'm going to take the delight of your eyes, we can from all that kind of surmise that this person that Ezekiel married, his wife, she was a righteous woman, right? And all like good, she was a good woman. She was a precious woman, right? And so about six months ago, as Pastor Steve was saying, I lost someone. I lost the love of my, my life that I'd been with for 15 years, married and, and together for 20 years. Uh, and one of the things that I've really learned is just how righteous a woman she was, right? I had the benefit of, after she died, I never looked at him before, but after she passed away, I had the benefit of being able to read all of her journals. And I got to see how much she prayed, how much she prayed for me. Lord, please help Peter, bless him in his work. Lord, make our relationship better. Help us to, to not fight about certain things. Help us to be humble. Lord, I pray for my children. Lord, I pray for my friends. Lord, have mercy, save their hearts. The ones going through marital struggles, Lord, bless them. I, I, I began, God's really shown me over these last uh, few months just what a holy woman I was really married to. Uh, I almost like, it's, it's like I was married to like Mary Magdalene or something or like Moses or, or something. She's like just on a different level. Right, and my one regret, of course, after all these, these, these months is I never saw it when she was actually still alive. So if we can, if we can actually turn to the next passage, uh, it's in 1 Peter, chapter 3. And I'm sharing this because this is how God began to minister to my heart. All right, it's on the screen, and you can turn to it in your Bible. So I'll wait a few moments for you to go there. 1 Peter, chapter 3. 
and it'll be verse 7. This is not a marriage talk, but at the same time, I think there are lessons that we can learn from the uh, relationship between a husband and a wife. The Bible says that the marriage relationship is a model of how Jesus Christ relates to all of us. So regardless of whether you're married yet or not, we can certainly learn uh, from the way that Jesus, how the Bible describes marriages and apply that to our own lives, regardless of our current state. But again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, a simple verse, but it says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So a quick experiment, if I could. If you're, if you're married, if you could just turn to your wife and look at her, if you're, if you're a, a woman, you're married, turn to your husband. If you're not married, turn to the, your, any friends or family you might have next to you. Or if you're, if that's not an option, just look to God. <laughs> it's pro- probably the safest thing to do right now. Right, as you, as you consider that person next to you, I just want to ask you to ask yourself the question, do you see them as a co-heir in Christ? Someone who God loves, who inherits in the kingdom of God in the same way that you do? Or do you see the person who's there just to wash your clothes, cook your food, take care of the kids, take care of you, someone who's lower than you, inferior to, not as strong, maybe even not even as smart as you are. The Bible says that if we're really walking together with the Lord, we're co-heirs. They don't inherit any less. Your, Your spouse inherits no less than you do. They get the same stakes. They have equal spot at the table. Right? And this is what God began to speak to my heart. I'm speaking not as a way of rebuking, but I'm speaking again what God showed me. Peter, did you treat your wife like an equal? Because the Bible says that if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. And what does that mean, right? It means that God stops answering your prayers. So you're going to church and then you're, maybe you're rude or something and, or you, you, you cut someone off in traffic or you're, you're, you do some level of a sin in some way, shape, or form. And you go to God and you say, oh God, please have mercy on me. Cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. I've sinned against you. Please hear me. According to this passage, if you don't treat your wife as a co-heir, as an equal with you, your prayers might not make it. They might bounce back, and God will say, well, I know you're asking me to forgive you, but no, not for you, because you haven't repented of the most important sin of being humble toward the person you live with. And something I've just learned through this experience is it's so important to tell the people that you love how much they mean now rather than later. And it goes beyond just telling. It goes into acting. God is waiting for us to begin acting like the person, the people in our lives, our family members, our friends, like they're co-heirs 
in Christ rather than later because it might just be too late. One of the things, one of the practical ways where I'm just so blessed, a a pastor came and spoke at a conference I was part of and uh, gave out a a $100 bill in front of the, he stopped the service, he said, I have $100, who wants it? Okay, and he, and he asked, okay, well, the person that can get it is uh, any, any, any of you husbands who has given a gift to your wife every single month for the last year. He held on to that bill for a really long time. <laughs> One person actually got it. He was a pastor that said, no, I've been giving to, to, to this. I've been giving a, a gift to my wife. And rather than give it to him, he said, no, no, where is she? Let me go talk to her and find out where she is and hear if this is really true. And he brought her up and she corroborated the story that he, in fact, had been giving her a gift. Uh, and I, I took that because, honestly, I wanted that $100 next time. Uh, he's never come back and offered that again, unfortunately. But uh, all that time, I, I put a little calendar reminder on my phone every 20th of the month, and forget it. I'd always, it was a reminder for me to go give my wife a gift, something. And I'm a bit hesitant to say that because now I'm like... I've said this before, and, and all the wives gave their husbands dirty looks, and they just asked, why don't you do that? <laughs> so I'm not trying to get in trouble or anything, but I wanted to share it along because that's just a practical way to be able to show practically that the person you're married to, the person you're with, means a lot to you. And of course, there are any number of ways to, to take it. But my point is really the same. It's so much more important to be thankful for what you had while you have it, rather than regret it when you don't. Right, so take the time now, is my, my, it's what I've learned. Take the time to show the people in your life that they mean something to you. Uh, you'll be very grateful uh, if God should happen to take that person away for whatever reason. So the second lesson I learned, uh, the first lesson is, of course, being thankful for what God's given you. But the, the second lesson I learned is, is really about suffering. Right? Suffering's inevitable in life. It's going to happen. Uh, in fact, we can turn to this passage. It's a familiar passage. It's just one verse. It's the last verse of John chapter 16. Actually, I'll wait for folks. If you want to turn there, you can turn there in a moment. John chapter 16, verse 33. And it says, this is Jesus speaking now. He's speaking, this is one of his last things, his last will and testament to his disciples, people he loved the most while he was here on earth. And he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. But be courageous, I have conquered the world. So suffering's going to happen. And in this passage that we read, that we opened with in Ezekiel, there are two different groups of people that suffered, right? There was Ezekiel. He lost his wife. And then there were the people of Israel. Uh, They hadn't quite lost much at that point. They'd lost some, but the full extent to the punishment that they were about to give that hadn't yet come upon them. Uh, but it certainly did happen. The, the Bible says that on that day, a fugitive will come and tell you everything about the horrors that happened to the nation of Israel 
And sure enough, years later, I think about nine years after this account that we read, you find that that's exactly what happened. A fugitive escaped with his life from the complete destruction of an entire nation. Uh, just to go into a little bit of the details, uh, there was a siege uh, of the city of Jerusalem for, I think, at least three years. I forget how long it was. But they, finally, the Babylonians who were, who were invading, they, they conquered the city. Uh, they, they break through the wall. Uh, the king escapes, the king of Israel that's there, he, he escapes and runs away, not too far away. They end up catching him, uh, and they, uh, they, they catch his, his, I think, nine sons, if I remember correctly, but he had a good number of sons. And to give them a, to give them a taste of what the, the, the punishment that they wanted to visit on them, the, the king of, of Babylon ordered that this king, called Zedekiah, that he be tied up and that he watch as his sons are put in front of him and they're executed right in front of his face. That they, they, they kill them. And then right after he sees each and every one of his nine sons killed with a sword, then they, then they decide, okay, now's a perfect time to gouge out your eyes so that you'll be blind. And I'm sharing this because it's in the Bible. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It's in the book of, uh, of Second Kings. It's like that's how cruel they were to the people where he wanted, the, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, wanted the last thing that this man saw would be the death of his children, and then he'd be able to see nothing else after that. After that, the massacre began of the rest of, of Jerusalem. They burned everything. And so when the Bible says, uh, the, something that, that my pastor, Freddie, always shares is that when the Bible says something, it, it only, it, it never overstates it. It's only less than what the reality ends up being. Uh, there, there was complete devastation. So when God said that, you're, that the people of Israel are going to lose the delight of their eyes, the, the, their temple, the thing that they put so much pride in, they said the presence of God is here, no one can ever conquer us. Well, God departed from that nation and they burned it to a crisp uh, and left nothing on top of each other. It was complete ruin and a wasteland. Right? And so what can we learn from this about suffering? Coming back to that topic. Right? Sometimes God visits us with suffering because of our sin. Sometimes the suffering in our life is caused by the things that you do, the way that you think, the way that you treat others. And sometimes, as in the case of Ezekiel, he didn't sin. He wasn't a, a sinful man at that point of his life, but sometimes God decides to bring suffering in a person really because he's, he's, giving him, he's giving Ezekiel an opportunity to share in the sufferings that God felt. Right? But regardless of the reason why we have suffering in our lives, the result is God wants us to be more like Jesus. That's why he gives us suffering. The Bible says in Hebrews 5 verse 8, you don't have to turn there, but it says that Jesus Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. Not through what he learned in temple, through what he suffered, the son of God, even though he was the son, the Bible says, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Every time we suffer, God is giving us a blessing, an opportunity to be more like Jesus and be a better person than we ever were before, right? So Ezekiel 
Like, he suffered pretty, pretty good here. Uh, but did he do anything wrong to deserve what happened to him? Right? No. But who else does that sound like in the Bible that you hear about? Did no wrong. Right? I hear Job, I hear Jesus, right? And it's this opportunity that God gives us in suffering to share in the glory of Jesus Christ, to share in that suffering. The Bible says we, if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified with him. That's what the word of God says, right? And what blessing did Ezekiel get for going through this suffering? We read it actually in the next verse of the very, at the end of that chapter. It, didn't, it's not, it wasn't on the screen. But the very first verse of this next chapter of Ezekiel 25, after this passage you read in Ezekiel 24, it says, then the word of the Lord came to me. Ezekiel was able to hear clearly from God because of how he behaved when he suffered. I don't know about you, but I don't really hear chapters of the Bible just start coming into my brain and saying, the Lord of the Word, the, the, the Word of the Lord came and spoke to me and I just started writing, right? That's not a common occurrence for us. And I think often we sometimes ask the question, well, why isn't God speaking to me? I've been praying for this for so long. I've been praying for my husband, my wife to be safe for so long. And I've been praying for a husband, forget praying for my existence. I'm just praying for any wife or husband. I've been praying for that forever. Could it be that God's not speaking because he's given you those opportunities and you haven't been turning to him in the middle of that suffering? Right. When my wife died, everyone was asking me, well, oh, it's so tragic. It's such a sad thing. Oh, those four kids. Oh, why did God do this? Right? They, they won't have a mother. Someone actually even asked me, well, Peter, why aren't you angry at God? Shouldn't you be mad at him? Right? And then I go to passages like this. And if anyone had a reason to be angry in the scriptures, it's Ezekiel. Right? He was told not to even cry for his wife. And the person who told him not to cry was the person who killed her. And Ezekiel obeyed what Pastor Steve said before, that's an example, a model of the normal Christian life, right? And I'm not suggesting that it's normal not to grieve, right? That was a special thing. God had a special word for Ezekiel at that time. That was what he shared. He had something, he had a message to share for the nation of Israel because it was exactly what was going to happen to them. When my wife died, I, I cried. <laughs> I cried a lot. Uh, I remember that the day that my wife died, uh, a woman, well-intentioned woman, she lost her own husband years and years before, uh, before uh, with her young kids. And she, she told me, well, you know, Peter, you have to be strong. You have to hold out for, for, your, for your children. You have to, you know, hold it in. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I completely ignored that advice because I cried and I cried and I cried. But one thing that I did that I don't know that I'd ever done before, I never really had a reason to do it before, was that I learned when that happened, I would cry, but every single time that I cried, I'd say, oh Lord, heal my heart. Heal me, touch me. 
it was a painful loss. I, I, I describe it to people, losing your wife is like someone taking a sword and slicing off your arm. You're losing one part of yourself and you might survive. You know, there's, there's a lot of blood loss and so forth. You, you might just make it. I actually think that's the reason why you, you hear about, for older couples, when one, when one person passes away, it's often the case that their spouse also passes away. It's because that emotional loss, that pain, it translates into the body, and I felt it for sure. It almost was as real as a physical trauma, right? But I also have to testify that God has been faithful. Every time I asked for healing, God gave. And it wasn't just once. I'd say, Lord, heal me, and then there'd be peace in my heart. The way that it worked for me, I'd, I'd, go, to, I'd go to the grocery store, and then I remember, oh man, I'm never going to be able to go to the grocery store anymore. And the pain would just well up, and I'd be weeping in the middle of the grocery store. I'd be on taking my kid to school, and I'd be like, oh my, I'll never be able to go with her to school to take drop off my kid anymore. And every new wound that opened up, I experimented, I, I did this experiment. I said, no, let me try to see what happens if I turn to God every single time I feel a pain. Right, and we, we hear in the Bible, you know, Jesus healing the lepers, healing the sick. My testimony is that Jesus Christ has healed me in my heart just as much as he healed the lepers, just as miraculously. And I know he can do the same for all of us. I tried him and his word proved true. Right? God showed me so much. I was mentioning before, when's the last time that God started writing books, telling you books, entire chapters of the Bible that you can write down the word of the Lord came to me. God began to speak to me. And I began to hear things from God, not necessarily you know, the audible voice and so forth, though sometimes it was just as real. But he began to speak to me in dreams, in visions, began to reveal his word to me. I wrote it all down. It's chapters. Long pages of God showing me the nature of his love, who my wife really was. Who am I? And what is God trying to do in my life? How is he trying to get me to be closer to him? Right? Right. She's, the, the best thing happened to, to Ezekiel's wife. I think that the Lord, he didn't just kill her. I think he took her to be with him. And God took my wife to be with him. He wanted her. He just wanted her to be with him, and I say, praise God. We don't get to say when suffering comes, oh, it was too soon. Lord, you, you, you're not doing well. No, you, you didn't make the right decision. What we get to say in the normal Christian life is, oh, Lord, you're righteous in all your ways. Just are you when you judge. And God is always faithful, because the word of God says that in every trial and every test, he gives us a way out. The question is, as he gives us that strength, what do we, how do we use that strength? Do we use that strength to draw near to God or try to figure out life on our own? Right? We don't have to dare it on our, on our own. My testimony is we can turn to God. Right? And so for me, I, I know for a fact, I'll, just, I'll be completely transparent here. I would say for sure there were sins in my life before she died that God began to speak to me about clearly. And maybe there's a sin in your life, and you're asking, 
well, why is my life not working out the way? Why am I frustrated in this area? Why can't I ever make progress in such and such? And why is this sin just always defeating me again and again and again? Right? Or maybe you're suffering because God's just trying to do something in you, like a Job, like Ezekiel. My exhortation here is, inasmuch as God's speaking to you, use the strength, use the word that God's speaking to you to draw near to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It is my testimony. I thank God for that. Amen. And the last lesson that I, that I learned beyond the nature of suffering is really, and it goes again to that, that concept of the normal Christian life, what do we really deserve? I've, I've, I've been thinking about that word deserve, and I've, I'm, I'm beginning to actually really dislike it. But what do I deserve? What do any of us deserve in life? Let's turn to this last passage. It's in the book of Luke, chapter 17. Four verses. Luke 17, verse 7 through 10. And it reads, Which one of you, having a servant tending sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes in from the field, Come at once, sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, Prepare something for me to eat, get ready, and serve me while I eat and drink? Later, you can eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We're undeserving servants. We've only done our duty. And who's saying this, right? These are the words of Jesus Christ that we're reading. This is Jesus speaking. Right, so according to the Bible, the Bible says, our lives are not our own. We were bought at a price. Amen? Amen? Amen. The day that we decided to give our life to Jesus Christ as not just our Savior, but as our Lord, we signed away all rights that we had for our own lives. And we entrusted it to the one that loves us better than we could ever love ourselves. And so what do we really deserve in life? Uh, one of the, the best quotes that, that, I, that I have on the, that, I've, that I've appreciated over time on, on humility was from the Prime Minister of Israel, Golda Meir. She has this great quote. It, it says, uh, she said, of all things, don't be humble. Don't be humble. You're not that great. What do we have to be humble about anyway? As if we're something that we need to get lower, like we're not, like we're something anyway. You're not great. Who is great? Jesus Christ is great. Not us. Right? The Bible says that God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. That verse has also been speaking to me. What is grace? I know there's a lot of teaching on it, but at least one of the things that grace is, is that power from God to be able to do what he asks us to do. Are you struggling with sin in your life in some way, shape, or form? It could be because you're a proud person and God is opposing you and he's not giving you grace. Because the Bible says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. To those that are humble of heart, he gives them the power to overcome sin. He gives them the power to speak boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. He gives them power to be kind to their wife, to be low to their children, to be a servant to their children, a servant to their friends. But the proud? Well, God's against you. What can we say but we are just unworthy servants? So God did this thing. He's done this. He brought this suffering in my life. And what do I get to say? All I get to say is, amen. Thank you, Lord. Your ways are just. Righteous are you. You did the best thing possible. In eternity, I, I already, I'm already, God's already beginning to show me the wisdom, his wisdom in what he did in my life. But I, I know that in eternity, I'm going to have a totally different perspective. Uh, like I said, my wife, she, I think she, she walked with God. I'm actually, one of the things that I know God, uh, one of the reasons why I think God took her is to give me a wake-up call, and to give me that advice. Well, Peter, you need to get serious with me. I'm actually convinced that when I... With, in all fear and trembling, when I go to heaven, I'm not sure if I'm going to see my wife. Not because she's not there, but I think because she walks so close with God here that she's going to be so high and close to Jesus, I'm not going to be able to see her. I might have to wait a few thousand years <laughs> before I get to see her. There's so much that she was, though she made such progress in the area of humility. And God gave me that ability to say, well, no, Peter, this is the way you should walk. And so I have my four kids, and I've given my, my life away for my kids. I exist every decision that I have. I used to play sports and go out, and all those things are over just so I can be with them and give them the chances that they, because that's what she did. She lived out that sacrificial life, right? So God is great. It's at his name that every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, not us. So we give him the praise. In closing, I, I, just, I just have to say one last point that, that's just, just in this passage. When we honor God in our moments of suffering, we don't turn inward, but we turn upward toward the Lord he begins to use you to draw others to him. This chapter in Ezekiel, chapter 24, it ends with this passage. So you will be a sign for them and they will know that I am the Lord. 
There's an evangelism training that's happening that's happening all summer long. For those that are in it, it could be that God's longing to use you and your life experiences. You're drawing to God in the middle of your trials and he wants to use that so that the people you go and see, either on the streets or at your workplace or wherever it is, that they can just look at you and they say, well, no, I know there's a God in heaven because I see it in this person. I see it in this soul. That's my prayer for all of us here today, that we would begin just by the way that we live in everyday life, there are choices that we make every single day to seek God and not ourselves, that God would use it to be a testimony to all the people around us. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I was praying about the service that the Lord would speak to me personally. Where'd you go, Peter? There you are. Thank you. Thank you for speaking with, to, to my heart. Thank you. Uh, that was fabulous. The normal Christian life, the, and this is just, just what the Bible teaches, that whatever happens to you, whatever kind of crisis you move on with the Lord and don't let it be an excuse to hinder what he wants to do in your life you know Romans chapter 8 we were in Romans a couple years ago and one of the things we talked about was that it's many consider it the Mount Everest of the mountain chain that is the Bible says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your, life, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Everyone hear that? In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, we just heard about that, Angels, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, that's talking about the demonic realm, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, God didn't create this world, this beautiful world, 
spin it on its axis and then back off to leave it to everyone's best guess to figure out who he is. No, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he sent us the Bible. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came to the world and that his life, he was crucified as a ransom, as a payment to purchase us back for our lives. He also purchased this life, which we just read about in Romans 8. A life where nothing can separate you from the love of God. Neither tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, uh, death nor life, angels or principalities or power. Nothing can do that. But the Bible says that we roll out of our mother's womb and into life. And every single one of us has that rebellion in us that rejects the Son of God. The Bible says that all have sinned, all have rejected and fallen short of the glory of God. And when you reject Jesus Christ, not only are you rejecting, and when I say rejecting Jesus Christ, Peter just talked about it, opening up your heart, throwing away all your, all your rights to live your life for yourself and say, yeah, I want to live for you, Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your King, as your Master, not only do you get a life, a normal life looks like that. That's what it looks like. Peter's just one of hundreds of examples that I've seen of, a, of a men and women who have lived in this way. They have the power the Bible calls it the law of the spirit of life. It, it's, it's, it's just a law that goes to work in you, which enables you to live this normal Christian life. You're, but when Jesus, when, when you make Jesus, when you, when you um, reject Jesus as the Lord of your life, you're not only rejecting this life where the love of God in you conquers any suffering that you have, but you also are facing an eternal judgment by God for rejecting his son, for rejecting him as the Lord and Savior of your life. An, an eternal judgment. The Bible calls it hell. I don't want anyone to leave today without settling this business of who is God of your life. Is it you or is it God? You just saw an example of a, of a man. You just heard an example. And there's a lot more that Peter has than what he shared of what the life of Christ brings you. It also brings you just an eternity with him that begins the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. If you've uh, been asked to pray, can you also please come up? Peter, can you come up? Solomon, can you get someone to pray uh, with? Uh, maybe Kelly, can you come up to pray with uh, Peter? 
um, when, uh, as he's up here. And maybe, maybe you have something that's stirred in your heart during this a sermon, and you'd like Peter himself to pray for you. Uh, Peter's going to be uh, with Kelly up here praying. But there's going to be other prayer partners here too, um, just to come up. The Bible says that making Jesus the King and Lord of your life happens in a moment of time where you just say, yes. I was reading a book from a, a verse from Isaiah to today. It says, God says in Isaiah, look to me and be saved. In other words, it, it, it's not even necessarily an audible um, uh, word. It's just looking to God and in your heart, you know he's your savior. You know he's your Lord. You know he's worth living for and you know you deserve death and hell and you just look to him. It says all, uh, all um, ends of the earth look to the Lord and you will be saved, the, the, the Bible says. If you've never done that, um, I'd love to lead you just in a prayer making Jesus the king and the Lord of your life. Or perhaps um, you are suffering loss or have suffered loss. You are very moved by what you heard. Um, and you like to have someone pray for you. Lord, help this man, help this woman in their loss. Or perhaps you just are thinking that that normal Christian life doesn't seem normal at all to me. I'm confused, and you like prayer about that, or whatever else. As the worship team is playing, come up and, uh, and we'll pray for you. Actually, now you can rise. And we're going to close with this worship song. So I'm going to pray, and, and then we'll just be closing out the, the service with, uh, with worship and with prayer. Father, we just thank you pray again for Peter. Bless that life. Bless those children, Lord. And, 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 and Lord, that they would just continue being a demonstration to the world of your glory and what life is about. Prosper those children, Lord. Father, we also I just want to pray, Lord, that um, what was started at the beginning of this service is Dan called us to worship, that you would just continue it right now, Lord, finish the business in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can come up to pray, otherwise worship, worship with us.